Yo, what is good, everybody? Welcome back to Diamond Talk, where we're here getting paid. And that's right, I'm talking about my cousin-to-be, the person who's going to supplement the rest of my life. Forget Biden's loan forgiveness. Julio's going to be out here forgiving some of these loans. That's right, Julio Rodriguez got the bag, man. We're here with we're here with Rob, who's giving me disapproving looks because he wants to be his cousin, too. He's just, you know, lying about it. And Nick, who's been traded again. Man, this is unprecedented for someone to be traded in a week's time. He is now a Colorado Rocky. But Rob, Nick, how you guys doing? Bro, I'm doing I'm doing great, but you can't be out here faking relationships like that. Like all of a sudden, of course, he got his bag. Of course, you're just like everyone else. Now he has 60 new cousins all over all over the place. Like Julio, of course he got paid. I mean, he got paid a lot more than I was expecting even to get paid this early on. So we're definitely gonna dive into that one. Yo, man, I'm doing good. I still got the sleeve on, ready to go, lefty style. You know, this is how I'm going to see all 30 Major League ballparks. I'm gonna just going to get traded week <laughs> to week. That's how I'm doing it. I'm not doing it out of pocket. Uh, man, big ups to Julio Rodriguez. We will get into the details, but this is a great deal for him. The future of baseball, the Mariners, the AL West, to be real. I mean, you've got, you're going to have competing MVP stars in Julio Rodriguez and Mike Trout for the next decade on the West Coast. Yo, before we move on to, to the topic, do I, can you talk about your jerseys a little bit? Because I know people who are listening can't see it, but I think it's a pretty cool jersey. Oh, this one right here is the Nolan Arenado Players jersey from, uh, what, maybe 2018 when they had the the, the gray body and the gray, the purple sleeves. Yeah, I mean, just the jersey collection I got, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's nice to rep almost every team. I don't have your Yankees, and as we said off mic, uh, I keep repping the non-playoff teams, so nobody can call me a front runner. I got all the jerseys, but... Uh, uh, speaking of jerseys, the one I want to get made is uh, Fernando Tatis wears number 23. So I want to get the last name suspended till 23. Just kind of works out. <laughs> That's wow. the next one. Hating on another cousin of mine. How dare you? Yo, um, let's get to the Julio Rodriguez contract details because I'm going to break it down for you. Uh, you can kind of get lost in the shuffle of it. But here's the primary stuff, right? Um, at its base, right? So the base contract is... Technically, seven years for 119 with a 209 million base guarantee if he agrees to his player options, right? So that's a $119 million base with $90 million in player options. The total maximum potential value of the contract is $470 million. So if he hits all his incentives, if he takes all his options, if he does everything that is in the contract, he can make up to $470 million, which, by the way, is the richest contract in all of American sports, again, if he hits all those things. So when are these player op- when, when are the, There's also club options in this, right? So the Mariners have a 2030 club option. They have to decide after 2028 whether they're going to pick up that option. Um, now let's talk about some of the incentives. So from 2022 to 2028, the MVP voting. If he gets zero top 10 votes, it pretty much stays the same. It's an eight-year, $200 million at $25 million annually. If he gets two top 10 votes in that time, it turns into an eight-year, $240 million contract, $30 million annually. If he has four top 10 votes in those eight years, he gets 260 mil, which is a 32.5 annually. Um, if he wins the MVP, plus one top five vote, or three top five votes in those eight years, it's a $280 million contract. I, I know it gets hard. I, I know it's, it's going to be impossible to keep track of things, but I'm just, I just want to break it down for you guys so you guys just know what it looks like. So if he wins two MVPs, or if he has four top five votes in those ten, in 10 years, 
he gets $350 million, which is equivalent to $35 million annually. If the team declines the 2030 option, it converts it to a five-year, $90 million player option from 2030 to 2034. Now comes the player option escalator, right? So, again, these are all incentives. If he gets eight combined silver sluggers or all-star selections, it's a five-year, $100 million bonus, which is essentially $20 million annually. If he gets 10 combined silver sluggers or all-star selections, it's about it's worth $110 million or $22 million annually. If he gets one MVP plus two all-star selections, uh, the incentives are five years, one twenty. It's a full no trade clause, so essentially they're locked in with each other for this. The award bonuses he gets one hundred fifty, one hundred fifty thousand if he wins an MVP. If he's a World Series MVP, it's a hundred grand. If he's an LCS MVP, fifty. Silver Slugger or Gold Glove, fifty grand. All Star selections, twenty five grand. So, look, man, I'm ass at math, but it pretty much adds up to a lot of money for Julio Rodriguez. All numbers aside, we all know what really matters here is the impact of the deal. The impact on the players coming up, the impact on the Mariners, the impact on the league itself. Uh, funny enough, last year, Jared Kalanick was offered an extension. That man said no. I don't know if it was anything near what the Julio extension looks like, but Mariners got the right guy. <laughs> Yo, Rob, I'll start it off with you. What are your thoughts on this deal? Oh, it's a great deal for the Seattle Mariners. I think their fans should be very happy about this signing. For Julio, it shows commitment on his part to Seattle as a franchise. And it shows commitment from Seattle's part as well. I think I think this isn't just a thing for Julio. I think this is also, when you break it down, a message from Seattle to the rest of the league that they're willing to compete with the big boys when it comes to paying you know, their superstar-level talent. Because I do think that there's a possibility that he's going to hit some of those incentives. I don't think I don't or I don't know if he maxes out, you know, to the 470. But you know what? There's a possibility that he might because he's probably going to have a top 10 MVP finish this season. If we're if we're breaking down the the, the numbers, right? He's 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 going to finish at worst second for AL Rookie of the Year. He's in that he's in that competition because we know Adley Rushman is who we're going to talk about a little later as well. You know, it has been just super hot. Right. And if, if Julio cools off and Adley keeps up his momentum, that could turn into another interesting conversation. But he's already going to have a top 10 finish. Let me let me remember if I got it right. So it's if he either wins two in, in MVPs or has four top five MVP finishes, the contract maxes out. Right. Like it hits the 470. No, not necessarily. It also has to, it has to meet like all those incentives. So all, it okay. means being, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why it maxes it Okay. Up. But that okay, does so, give him like a $250 million push. So then you have to, you kind of just have to look at Julio Rodriguez and see where you see him standing in the league coming up in the coming years. And he's standing in a really solid, solid place because I honestly think it's probably going to be easier if you're just comparing winning the two MVPs to the four top five finishes, it's probably going to get easier to get the four top five finishes. To be honest, because if you think about the players who are probably going to stick around in the AL, just assuming, right? Like we don't we don't know about guys like Aaron Judge or anything like that, right? But let's assume you still have Shohei Otani, you still have Vladdy Jr., you still have a Rafael Devers. Um, those are three players who I for sure take over Julio Rodriguez right at this moment in time, right? Um, who are going to be in MVP conversation? 
You have possibly a guy like we saw this season before injury uh, derailed him, Jordan Alvarez, right? Who's one of the best hitters in the American League, who's also another top name. I just mentioned Adley Rushman. Adley Rushman, if, if anything, the Julio signing was also an indication to Adley Rushman of what he should expect Baltimore to come to the table with, because it's going to be very simil- similar. You're you're essentially investing in the in the face of your franchise. It's going to be a similar situation to Baltimore. Adley's already the face of, of that franchise. And I think, you know, like you broke it down, it's a calculus problem. But I think we have to look at the complexity of the contract and kind of question and see if this is starting to become more of the norm in the league moving moving on forward from here. Because again, it shows that Seattle, Seattle's basically putting its chips on the table, right? They're saying we have no problem paying you 400, 500 million dollars as long as you deliver. Here's the contract. You deliver, here's your money. We have no problem investing in you long term because it's a ridiculous deal. Like again, if it maxes out, you're talking about 17 years at 470 million dollars. That's a ridiculous contract. Um, and again, it speaks to the commitment on both sides. I think I read that Julio's representation was the one that pushed really hard to, to put the MVP incentives in there, right? Your representation is not pushing hard for you to get MVP incentives unless they believe that you're going to be in MVP talks, right? Like that is showing confidence in yourself. That's, that's sending a message to the franchise as well that I expect to be the MVP of this team. I expect to be the face of, to move us forward. You bring in pieces around me and we'll see what happens from here on out. So for Seattle and their fan base, I, I think it's a great day. And I think I, I think it's a key signing, man. It's a really key signing because it's it's when you actually break it down, it's so different from what you typically expect from Seattle, right? Like Ichiro, Ichiro, yes, he was homegrown in terms of it was his only MO, you know, his first MOB team. But Ichiro was already a professional when he came to the MLB, right? He was already a professional hitter in Japan. Your Griffey Juniors, it, you, you know, we all know what happened with Griffey Jr., right? Griffey Jr. didn't get extended and things like that, right? It's been a while since Seattle has been able to say that they've had this kind of talent, right? Like you could talk about Prime Robinson Cano. That was a signing. That wasn't a homegrown talent, though. That wasn't a legit guy that you have since year one where you can actually develop him. And, and I'm going to say something else. You're not giving this kind of money to risk kind of guys, right? Like we all kind of agree. I mean, we all kind of agree that like at some point, right? Like there's a certain floor and ceiling, whether we disagree on what that is, but there's a certain floor and ceiling to a player like Julio Rodriguez. And he's just, I I think his floor is just going to be a, a, even if at his worst, a consistent all-star level player. And for Seattle, that has to feel good. Yeah, look, I'll take this from a contractual standpoint. Like, in my day job, when I'm not watching baseball, this is kind of what I do is is contracts and, and, you know, making sure that these kind of things go through and and setting them up in the best way possible. I love the creativity of this contract. You're not only protecting the player by saying, hey, look, we believe that you can do these things and we want you to believe you can do these things. So we're going to incentivize you to say, hey, look, you think you're going to be one of the best players in this league, we want to pay you if that becomes it, right? We're going to give you a base salary of we already think you're one of the best players to, to be in the league, but if you think you're going to be an all-time great, which, by the way, not, not for nothing, like, not many guys have, like, four top five MVP voting. Like, off the top of my head, I can think Trout, who misses out on a couple of historic seasons by Mookie Betts and, and Miguel Cabrera, but he's probably in the top five at least five times. Um, 
other person I'm thinking of, Paul Goldschmidt, who's never won it, but he's been in the top five two or three times, including this year. It's going to be three three times, I think. So, you know, those are big names, man. So from, from the creativity standpoint on Julio's end, I love it. We're saying, we're saying we respect you as a player to give you this base, but we also respect you enough to know that you can be better than that. And if you do become better than that, we want to pay you for that. I think that's beautiful. On the other end, Seattle gets protection too. Because, look, if it's not working out and they see whatever reason, let's say you have a Fernando Tatis situation, right? Let's say Julio likes going on his moped on the weekends down Seattle, the fish market, and, and playing catch with some fish out there, and he slips on a fish and he gets a, a fish infection, like Aramis Chapman has tattoo. Not the and fish market, whatever. man. Don't bring down the fish market. <laughs> I'm just saying, if, if something happens to Julio Rodriguez, the team can also say, hey, look, man, we tried it, we believe in you, but right now we, we think it's best for us to cut our, our ties and for you to go forward. The other thing, too, is we always talk about how contracts like these hold down a team, right? We talked about it with Giancarlo Stanton, right? Like, oh, he's going to get paid 20-whatever to be at the age. We talk about it with Mike Trout now that he's, he's you know, he had that back issue, which nobody knows exactly what's happening or whatever it is. But looking at it now, it's, it's kind of a, a contract that seems like it's going to be holding down the Angels for the next 10 years. Well, if you're the Mariners and you see your franchise going in a different direction than you think it is right now, and you know, maybe he's a trade ship. Maybe he's somebody who just has to get off the books. You have that option to do that too. So I think it was a win-win for both sides, right? And my biggest thing is, look, you have to respect the players when you see the talent. You have to say, hey, look, we think you can hit this. And if you hit this, it's just basic math, man. Look, if you have an MVP caliber player, more people are going to be in the stands. You're going to pay that contract. I think that's where like teams are really short-sighted when they're like, hey, we're not going to pay you because, you know, XYZ is like, no, bro, look, if you're, if you're performing – and you have someone that whose name you know, which by the way, now you know Julio Rodriguez, right? For anybody, that puts people in the seats. You're gonna get that money back, man. Like, like nobody, there's not one player in the MLB who isn't at least three times more profitable than what they're getting paid. For the bigger players, like an Aaron Judge, it's a lot more than that, right? Or like Julio Rodriguez, it's gonna be a lot more than that this year. Can you imagine how much money the Seattle Mariners are making this year alone just off all the Julio Rodriguez stuff? It, it's crazy. It's Can you imagine crazy. how much money they're making this week after signing that deal? I guarantee he's in one jersey sale this week. <laughs> I first of all, applause to you for explaining that because this is this is a stupidly stupidly detailed contract. Um, the only thing that I don't that I didn't realize on this, and I don't think there is, is just a pure opt out. Just everybody decides not to do anything. But the options, the opt out, the opt ins are to me the most interesting part. The deal at its base, as you said, is seven years. So. They're buying out all of his initial contract plus one year of his free agency. For Julio Rodriguez, that is awesome because you're not getting locked into way past your free agency. And with his youth, if everything plays out the way that, you know, in almost in a worst way, worst case scenario, he gets a chance to go free agent at the end of that seven years. I think it'll be 28. That's still prime. Um, so the first opt out or opt in is the team. They get to do it after the 2028 season. It's purely a team option. And if they do that, I believe it goes to 17 years. So they lock him up for 17 years total if they opt into it at 2028. If they don't me, opt... Just break that down. So the ultimate length of this contract potentially is till 2034, which means Julio wouldn't become a free agent until 2035. That's, that's crazy. Right. Right. Exactly. And that that's just... I mean, that's a long time, but it makes sense. And... 
the the way I like the reason I like this deal the way it's structured so much is because it gives the team the power first to potentially lock in a very cheap option. The other really cool part is the max value is if you get the two MVP awards or four top five finishes in the next seven years. If he gets that, not only do the Mariners get to lock in a top end player for cheap, $35 million a year at that point is going to be very cheap. Let's be real here. That's going to be an insanely valuable AAV for the Mariners. But if Julio Rodriguez maxes out the Mariners' value for that team extension, he also gets two extra years at $35 million a year. So that then benefits the player. So the team has the control, but if Julio maxes out his potential, he also gets a little bit of control because he gets two years added to the end of the deal, which at that point you're talking he's in his 35-year-old season. $35 million a year at 35 might be pretty good for Julio Rodriguez, assuming he's still playing. So the very first opt-in is amazing. The team has the control, but the player gets a benefit if he maximizes it going into the team control. After that, they have one year to have a mutual agreement. And that would get it to, I believe, a 15-year deal. They lose the last two years of the deal, the 34 and 35. But that's a mutual deal. So let's just say the mayor's like, they don't want to lock him in. And then he has an MVP season in 20, in seven years, 20, what, 29? He will then, they then agree on a deal that they both agree on. That's not quite as good as if the team agreed with two MVPs, but is much better than the player deal. And then after that year, if they don't mutually agree, Julio Rodriguez can say, yeah, I want to be here for more. Maybe he's injured. Maybe he's not performing well. Performing well. He can lock himself into an $18 million a year average value on his own to make it for five more years. So he has all the power there. And then I love the structuring of the player option escalators. It's not just MVPs like a Byron Buxton. To me, that's amazing for the Mariners to have all of these scales for things like Silver Slugger, All-Star, just MVP top 10 votes. That's pretty giving of the Mariners. If I was a Mariners fan, I would be stoked that I've got a front office that is willing to be this creative because this truly is a performance-based contract for Julio Rodriguez. The Mariners said, hey, man, you are amazing. Here's $200 million, right? That's still better than Ozzy Albies. That's still better than the Acuna Jr. It's still a very good base contract. But if you really are this good, you can then have the best contract that's ever been had in North American sports. This is all on you. We're here to support you with a very good base, and then you can go perform. And there's levels to the performance. It's not just this or nothing. It's this or this or this. And you're talking about the player options going from $18 million a year up to $25 million a year. This is just a win-win. I couldn't find who his agent is, but this agent could definitely be getting a lot more business because this is you. there's nowhere to look at this and say this is a bad contract for anybody. There really isn't. Of course, you don't want. Of course, you want to give the player the no trade clause. If he wants to be there and you want him there, this is what it's all about. The Mariners are only locked in really to two hundred nine million dollars at worst, and I can't see Julio Rodriguez after twelve years not being worth two hundred nine million dollars. I really can't. He's too good. He's had too much potential forever. I think this is just a really good deal all around. I it might change contracts going forward. Um, there was a meme that you know Juan Soto's praising the gods for this contract before his sign. I don't know, man. I don't know. This is a different contract altogether because you have such a young kid. Basically, the contract is through his his rookie contract. They're buying that out. That's not where Juan Soto is. I don't know if Juan Soto is going to want performance-based stuff like this. I mean, he's confident, I'm sure, but there's a difference between like Tatis Jr.'s guaranteed $340 million no matter what happens 
and a guaranteed $209 million, that's $130 million. I don't know if Soto is that happy about this, but this is a really good deal. I hope it does change the way things going forward because this is how you get young players played. This is how the game changes the young players' contract and make them worth it. We're, we're in a weird spot in MLB right now where we've seen that the younger players more than ever have taken over the game. Ronald Acuna Jr., Mookie Betts, when he was prevalent, he, well, he's still prevalent, but he became prevalent at a really young age. We don't see guys in there, you know, other than a, a couple crew, right? Like Freddie Freeman, Aaron Judge. Those are guys in their 30s who are really doing it. But other than that, the game's really driven by the young, by the young players. The best part about this, in, in my, my opinion, is for the Mariners, they don't have to worry about this, man. Like, look at all the bullshit that the Yankees have to deal with this year with Aaron Judge about, is he going to resign? Where is he going? What are we going to do in the future? Can we make other moves because we still have to make this move? Guess what? You, you don't have to think about that for the next 14 years, potentially. It's something that is off the table. You can worry about building your team. I'm not going to say around the guy, because I think in baseball you can't really build around the guy just because you know you get you get one at bat no matter what right if you're if you're in the lineup your pitchers are going to pitch you can't really build around oh i'm gonna make a get a contact type pitcher just because you know you can't build around the guy but it helps to have someone who you know you can depend to be on year in and year out and that's going to be blue rodriguez for the mariners for the rest of the league dude take notice juan soto i i, I don't think juan soto gets a kind Gets this kind of deal. I think his agent is gonna say that was really cute, but yeah, no, we want the guaranteed money. <laughs> you know, especially since it's not like if it was if it was the Nationals, who was the team who came in with, that might be different. But if you're going to a new team, you're not gonna be that nice to them. You're gonna say, hey, look, Julio made four hundred seventy million. What what are we? Four years? Not even. We're two years older than Julio, maybe. Cool. Pay us for five hundred mil. We'll, we'll be there until eight thirty eight. Awesome. Done deal. Right, I think that's how that conversation goes for 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 um, Juan Soto eventually, but yeah, nah, man, super interesting. I think teams more than ever want to do that. We've seen the way the Braves do it. The Braves are playing on a cheat code mode though, where it's like, hey, we're gonna pay you twelve million for the next fifteen years of your life. Don't worry about it. We'll make it work for you, and and they get those contracts signed. But it's it's beautiful to watch. Let's stay in the AL West because speaking of transactions. There was another rumor transaction this week, and that was with the Angels. Artie Moreno apparently considering selling the team. I don't know where, where, where people fall on this. In, in one hand, Artie Moreno is one of the most involved owners with his team. On the other hand, he sucks at it. So, <laughs> you know what, Rob, I'll start with you, man. What, what did you think of the Artie Moreno potential Angels sale news? I think I thought exactly what a lot of their fans thought that it's about time that he looks for a sale of this team, right? Um, I think you said it perfectly. He's an owner who tries to be involved with the team, but in a bad way. They are just, um, again, it's it's like one of those things. You can't say that he didn't try at all because at the end of the day, he was trying, he was signing paychecks, right? Like he never, he never, he had, angels have been near the top of, of, uh, or at least top 10 in payroll for, for a lot of his tenure there. Um, unfortunately, if, you know, I don't know if people remember anything like that, but Artie Moreno bought the Angels the year after they won a World Series. So it's not like he has a title that he, you know, can point to and say, hey, remember when I got that? No, um, 
to be honest. And a lot of people might forget because of because of all the bad that has happened with the Angels, right? I mean, everyone here can point to all the bad contracts. I mean, we can make the argument for Pujols, Hamilton, what's happening right now with Rendon, things like that. But a lot of people forget that he had a good signing with Vladimir Guerrero, right? Like Vladimir Guerrero had his lone MVP season with the Angels. He he signed a, a, a one-day contract to retire an Angel. Vladimir Guerrero is a Hall of Fame level player. He, w- he was the reason why that Angels team after that uh, 2002 World Series win, you know, went on their little run of, of, of consistently making the playoffs. And yeah, I, I think people forget that he had that good signing because of such a really, really, really bad stretch of signings that came afterwards. Um, the Angels realistically have uh, gotten to a good position that a lot of teams wish they could get to because um, let's be, be, people forget also that the Shohei Otani signing was kind of really attached to Mike Trout. So like any team that was in possession of Mike Trout was pretty much in content, in real contention to also sign Shohei Otani. So if Mike Trout was a Boston Red Sox, it could be Mike Trout and Shohei Otani right now out in Boston, right? That's how much a player like Mike Trout had had somewhat of an influence in the Shohei signing. And dude, they have they have not done anything to put those players in any time of prime level spotlight, um, they got look. We're gonna be real. They got lucky that Trout agreed to sign <laughs> to sign their long term. A lot of people thought that Trout was leaving. Um, we we remember when Trout was when those rumors were out that he could possibly join Bryce in, in Philly and things like that. Right? A lot of people thought that maybe Philly would make a play for him. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I think I think for the Angels, to be honest with you, if if, if I was just playing like some type of fantasy. I would say I would say take it back old school, man. Drop the LA Angels shit. Go back to being the Anaheim Angels. Go back to being the Anaheim Angels. And um, yeah, like just just, you know, get it, get it together in that and that take care of the problems that you need to take care of too. Because that's one thing. We can point at at all the things that they'll always point at, right? Like um Artie Moreno, I think that was one of the things that he said recently, right? Like during his run. They've put together some of like the the best lineups that you've seen in in Angels history. Not one single mention of pitching. Not one single mention of pitching. I wonder why. It's it's literally the same problem they have every single year because they the only thing that they try to do is invest in their lineup for the most part. Like ninety percent of the time is investing in their lineup and it's gotten them nowhere. So I would only hope that if he does sell the team, the Angels have to hope that they that they get an owner that comes in with a little bit of different mentality. Because you need to address a lot, a lot of things, and it's not. And I don't know how quick of a cleanup it's going to be. Like they're in, they're in possession of of two uh, potential all time great players, and I don't know if I'm necessarily confident in the rebuild being that quick. I would have to see who the what ownership takes over and things like that, and the people that they put in place. Because honestly, right now, I don't know what the future holds for the Angels. Man, it's gonna it's gonna be rough, right? So, I'm I'm lucky enough to have a little insight into to like the Angels, like front office, and I don't know how I don't know how fast Artie Moreno necessarily wants to sell. Um, he's kind of he's a little bit ego driven. I I know that right now it's one of those things where his ego is taking a pounding, right? Your team's absolutely terrible. Um. You've been in front of the MLB saying, I'm going to be one of the owners that's really involved. Kind of like we see Steve Cohen. The difference is right now, it's working for Steve Cohen. 
And you can argue that for Artie Moreno at certain points, it, it, it kind of worked. So right now, where everything that comes out of the Angels you know, news is all terrible, other than Shohei Otani, everything that comes out of the Angels is terrible. Whether it's people ODing and dying because your medical staff is up to some shady shit, uh, whether it's something like Mike Trout not being able to stay healthy, who's the best player in the game, whether it's your pitchers not doing what they need to do, as, as, as Rob mentioned. Everything that comes out of the Angels right now is bad. You have a team that, on most years, you're pretty competitive with as far as fan base with, with the Dodgers. You know, Dodgers, their fanhood, they have fans that have been around forever. They've been the, the Los Angeles team, you know, since they moved here from, from Brooklyn. So they always have those old-time fans. But the newer fans, the younger fans in the region, I'd say a lot of them are Anaheim fans, depending on, on where you are geographically. I don't know if Artie Moreno is going to say, hey, I'm ready to give this up. A lot of power comes with being the owner of, of, of a major league sports team, right, no matter where you are. So I don't know how ready he is to actually sell it. I get it. It's a pain in the butt. Do I think he should sell it? Absolutely, right? There's no reason not to. The one thing that we see over and over again is the unwillingness to give the power to people that need the power, a.k.a. player development, a.k.a. people who work in the minor leagues with these players to, to make sure when they get, get up, they're ready. That's the difference between a team like the Angels and a team that, I'm not going to say the Dodgers, but a team like the, the Houston Astros, who doesn't have the financial resources that a team like the Dodgers does. It's 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 weird if you're a fan. I think if you're a fan, you're you're kind of excited because like, oh, we've sucked for so long. But you also have to be like, hey, are we gonna sign big players then? Is is that where we're going? Because not every fan is ready to go through the experience of building up a successful team for the long run. Being a Yankee fan, I know people aren't ready for that because just the way the answer is that if we had to say, hey, we're gonna punt this next year because we want to be ready for the next eight years people would freak out, right? I think the same thing with the Angels, and even though they've been asked the last five years or whatever. Another really important note is that there are people who have gone through the Angels, sucked with the Angels, left the Angels, and they're back good again, right? Big example of that is Billy Epler, who was previously the Angels GM, who is now the Mets GM. When that happened, I thought it was a terrible move. I thought, why would you hire this dude who failed so miserably with the Angels to run this team that seems to be on the way up. Guess what? He's been killing it. He's been killing it. Even those moves that we kind of criticized in the middle of the midseason, right? They've been awesome, man. Dan Bogbach, he's been like, the dude fits. He just fits in that lineup. Um, so you kind of got to wonder, why is this going so wrong? And I always think it starts from the top. So I'm, I'm a mixed bag on this. When I first hear, I'm like, hell yeah, finally, we get get Artie Moreno out of the fucking way, right? Look, man, let's be real. He was Steve Cohen before Steve Cohen. He was a fan with money who was willing to spend to run a baseball team. That's who he is. And Angels fans, like, look, he won the, not him, the team won the division five of his first seven years. The division. And then you run into this juggernaut. We say, oh, they've been asked since 2015. Well, who's been amazing since 2015? The Astros. And we're not, we're like talking dynastic amazing. We're not talking one or two years. We're talking, they're in the running of World Series competitor. The last three years, minimal, probably last four. Like, 
Artie Moreno's tenure as being owner has just been, I'm going to say, unlucky. You go from being in the World Series to not for a while. He didn't decline the team a ton. Like, you go in the World Series and then you win the division five the next seven years, you're still a good team. And all the bad contracts they want to talk about, Zach Cozart was, is one of them. He was signed in 2018. He was an all-star with a 933 OPS the year before. If you're a teammate, if you're a fan, you want your owner to go get a guy who just had a 933 OPS. That is amazing. 900 is the mark you want, and you're elite. 933 is better than elite. So that, that's a good signing. It didn't work. Josh Hamilton, he was an MVP two years before signing. He was top five MVP, MVP the year before signing. A 930 OPS, arguably one of the hottest names in the game that year when he was a free agent. There was everybody going after him. There was not a team that did not check in on Josh Hamilton. It didn't work out. But that was a good signing. Albert Pujols, I'm not going to talk about this. Albert Pujols is arguably one. Of, he is a top five player in the game of baseball, arguably. Like, he's in the top 25, no doubt. But you could argue top five if you wanted to. What, you're going to tell me you don't want Albert Pujols on your team for 10 years? I, I don't care. Yes, you do. You did. And especially then, at that point, it was said that they overpaid. But when you look back at it now... What he gave the Angels for $240 million was worth it. They, he earned that contract, and the Angels got their money back for him. Anthony Rendon, easily the hottest third baseman on the market the year he came out. Everybody was going after Anthony Rendon. It's not working out. Justin Upton might be the one, but he was a four-time All-Star before that signature, and he was on the team his last All-Star year before signing with him. They got traded for and stayed there for this contract. So they saw him in place, and Justin Upton wanted to stay there. I think that's a good signing. Just didn't work out. And then C.J. Wilson, their one pitching acquisition outside of the Matt Harveys and the Noah Syndergaards, you know, the ex-Mets. Uh, C.J. Wilson was sixth in the Cy Young the year before, an all-star the year before. And his career, in every aspect that you want to look at, from war, trending the right direction. Whip, trending the right direction. Strikeout to walk, trending the right direction. Uh, game started. He led the league in game started the year before going to the Angels and the year his first year on the Angels. That was a good signing that didn't work out. Artie Moreno's tenure has been unlucky. He is a billboard guy. That's how he made his money. So how could any of us be surprised that he's going after offense? Because let's be real. How sexy is pitching? Well, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and John Smoltz had to make a commercial by hitting home runs and batting practice to become sexiest pitchers. And that is the sexiest pitching staff that's been in the history of baseball. So Artie Moreno knows what sells. He is, if he sells, the valuation right now is $2.2 billion. He bought it for $184 million. The evaluation, they're gonna, he's going to get more than the evaluation because if you're just giving him the evaluation, why would he sign? He's not really making money at that point. But let's just say he sells the evaluation. He just made $2 billion in 20 years. Congratulations. As a businessman, he is winning. And Angels fans, he did win for you. You have five, five division titles under his belt. I get it. It's not World Series. You're not a World Series franchise. You never have been. So it's not Artie Moreno's fault. So let's be real about this. As an owner, he's done everything he can do to put the team in the right situation. And then he gets in his own way by not, as you, to your point, Daniel, not hiring the right baseball people to develop these guys, to keep them healthy. There's something inside the system that Artie Moreno can't put his foot on. And since he can't get out of his own way, this is a good idea for him to sell for Angels fans. It's also a bad idea because he is willing to spend the money. He is willing to go after the biggest name available. And with all the quote-unquote bad signings that he has, and don't get me wrong, he's had some bad ones, we got to keep in mind, to Rob's point, sign Vladimir Guerrero Jr., a Hall of Famer. And guess what? We want to talk about, you know, what kind of culture is in the Angels, you know, do they like to win? You know, 
Rob said they got lucky to re-sign Mike Trout. You know what? Artie Moreno's giving us something right. If you've got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. wanting to sign a one-day contract to retire and be in the Hall of Fame as an angel, that says something about your culture. That says something about your owner. Like yeah, I'll, say, I'll, I'll say this, man, with, with, the, with that culture aspect. What's on the field and what happens off the field are two different things. I know off the field, the, the players that play for the Angels are very happy. Like Mike Trout, um, you know, maybe the games, whatever, you, obviously you don't want to, you, you want to win. But off the field, all indications based off people who I know who know him personally, who know him and his wife personally, he's happy as hell being here, right? Like, those, in my opinion, you know, the whole going to Philadelphia thing, I think that was cute, right? Because, oh, look, I, I go back to where I, I was, you know, near home. Dude lives a, an amazing life out here. Um, and like I said, the most important part is that him and the people around him is most close to him are very happy. here, And that's, that's the big thing that no one really, really hits on. And it's hard to, it's hard to really see that because every player has their own, you know, dynamic and, and what happens. But for Mike Trout, when like, you know, yeah, it was like, is it, is it lucky that the angels, that he fell in love with the angels and, and every sign? Sure. Yeah. Whenever the, the best player in the game wants to stay on your team, that's awesome. But the Angels put the work in with these players, right? Angels players have a really good life. There's a reason why, even through all the nonsense last few years, the Angels are still a very desired destination. Um, they have to figure it out on the baseball side of it, absolutely. But when it comes to the amenities, when it comes to how they're treated, the Angels are, you know, they're a good organization from that standpoint that's gone through a very bad run the, the back-end years. Don't forget, from like 2002 to 2000, I would say 17, I guess when the Dodgers really became relevant as a every year World Series winner, California, that LA, that LA, Orange County area was really kind of broken up between, hey, Dodgers and Angels fans. That's why, not for nothing, when you see Angel fans get a little bit like, meh, at, at, at Angel fans, it's because they know that they've kind of been a pain in the ass the last the last decade and a half, right? And, and that's hard to do. You know, I, I kind of, I can't say it's like the Yankees and the Mets because the Dodgers have never been as successful as the Yankees were. But still, it's kind of like that. And, you know, the freeway series, I, I was in there like 2019, packed to the, the house was packed, right? It was wall-to-wall people. This was while the NBA Finals were going on. You had, you had like execs at the, like, at the game watching the NBA Finals on the screen while those were watching, like, it, it's kind of insane. It's hard to see that from the outside looking in. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't e- know. Even that Los Angeles name change was it, it, it was a grab for money. It was a grab for attention. It was a grab for fan base. And he alienated the Orange County, the Anaheim area, which is a large area. And from I have a sister who used to live down there. If you're outside of L.A. by like 30, 45 minutes, you don't really want to be pulled into L.A. as, as a namesake. You, you, want, you want your area. So when he changed to be the LA Angels of Anaheim, first of all, the, the mayor of Anaheim lost their job, like in 2020, because of this shit. Like after the lawsuit, like Artie Moreno has done, his dealings are always with the right mindset. They just don't work out, and some of them don't work out to where the mayor loses their job. Like that's how bad luck he's had. But I mean, you know, the culture of a franchise comes from the ownership. The ownership puts everybody in place. It's not the manager. It's not the team doctor. It's not the minor league system. All of those people ultimately have to be signed off by the owner to be in that position. So with the culture, I mean, like you said, Mike Trout, he didn't look. 
he put in the work, Artie Moreno put in the work to make Mike Trout want to stay there. Artie Moreno put in the work to bring in Shea Otani to come to LA, regardless of whether or not it's because Mike Trout's there or whatever reason, all of those decisions are coming from Artie Moreno. The names that he has put onto this field are literally all time greats. Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, Shea Otani, Torrey Hunter. Torrey Hunter signed there willingly and loved it there. That was another good contract. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like, Artie Moreno is a good owner. He is a good owner. He just, he's missing a piece to be successful as a franchise year after year. And he won't get out of his own way to find that missing piece. And that's why it's going to be a good idea that they sell. But at the same time, Angels fans, it could be really rough. Because you're going from a fan-friendly, team-oriented, fan-sided owner to you don't know. And in L.A., if you get into a business owner type of mentality, it's going to be rough because you have arguably the best business owner mentality system over there in the Dodgers. Because not only are they good with no money, they're also good with a lot of money. And they will do anything and everything. That will be a fun dynamic, but it could, it definitely could be a rough couple of years for the Angels if they sell. It, it, it's weird, man. I, I love the schmoozing dynamic. So, so one of the coolest stories I, I have is I, I had the opportunity to watch an Angels game with Shohei Otani's mother the day that he came back from injury. What I am telling you, every Japanese person in the stadium, like staff-wise, came to our suite and just came in here just like, Yo, thank you, thank you for, for having your son sign up our team. You know, his mom and his sister, so everyone's just came, you know, super respectful, right? With Japanese culture, respectful as hell. But, yo, they, they came in, like, the, the sushi chefs in the, in, the, in the suites, like, they made her, like, a like a huge, like, sushi thing. And ironically, she doesn't eat sushi. But, uh, you know, it was one of those things where they do things to make sure the players feel welcome there, which I think is a big, is a big deal. No, I'm not saying other teams don't. Other teams, obviously have you know similar things going on but they don't do but, it like the angels do whatever for whatever reason players that go there do, do do like it there granted but that does not mean it's going to be successful as we've seen as we've seen it it really hasn't been successful bro let is, me let, let me say something real quick because I, I i just want to put a a quick stop to the to the Artie moreno love fest that we're having here <laughs> like i don't think Artie moreno is a good owner i think he's average like if you want to point if you want to point to the run of success that he had earlier on like, we have to give equal view to the run of failure that he's had since. We can't just say that a lot of it was, oh, he had good signings and, and, and they just didn't work out. There were things that he didn't do. While I agree with a lot of the things that you guys said, right? Like, they treat their players well and they have amenities, right? The other side of being a baseball owner is baseball, right? From a baseball aspect, he didn't put the right people in place from a player development aspect. Right. When we say, while I agree with Nick, right, like who wouldn't want to sign Albert Pujols, right? When Albert Pujols became available, I'll tell you who shouldn't sign Albert Pujols, a team that is in need of pitching, a team that is in need of pitching, because guys like Albert Pujols should be going to teams that are that are primed to be legitimate contenders. We have not seen going back to the player development aspect. We have not seen the Angels themselves produce a legit, legit like guy that you look at. This guy is a. A, a number one ace level stuff outside of maybe a Jared Weaver. And Jared Weaver was never really like that. You feel me? Like Jared Weaver was never really number one Cy Young guy. So it's just like he didn't do things in the second end of his ownership. Because let's be real here too. Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, he did a great job acquiring those two guys, right? Those two guys are better than any player that he had 
in the previous run when the Angels were having their success, right? I mean, probably, right? A lot of people will probably say when baseball's over that Trout and Otani potentially end up having better careers than, than Vladimir Guerrero. That's the only other guy that competes with them in being an Angels uniform, right? So, like, he has failed to consistently build something around those two guys. Like, he's made effort, sure. Like, but again, the effort has gone in the lineup. Why am I going to praise Artie Moreno for continuously putting effort into the lineup when you don't put effort into the pitching? Like, yo, he literally the first real F, there's been two real efforts at pitching. A failure to acquire Garrett Cole and a, and a one-year $22 million deal to Noah Syndergaard that didn't work out and resulted in a trade at the deadline. That's that's been it. So so here's the thing. The problem the problem with that is because you're right, he hasn't invested in the pitching lately. He's done it in the past, right? We can't forget that that the Angels in the past, like, in the past, absolutely. Yes, recently, in the past. Recently he hasn't. Recently he hasn't. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm just separating the two. I'm saying he had success. Yeah. I'm taking, I'm taking, yeah. let's take twenty let's take 2015 to now. That's one chunk. And then and then the the previous chunk yeah. that he had, pre, you know, when Trout really, really started hitting his prime and stuff. I mean, it's it's almost eight years. I I agree with you. Like he's he's he hasn't done a great job the last five years, and no one's gonna argue against that. But thing is, when you're an owner, it's not like a player where you have a shelf life, right? It's not like oh, you have a window. Look at like bro, look at this time, brothers. They've been owning that shit since like what the seventies, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So so it's like you're gonna have times in your franchise history where it's gonna be dark. You know, it like. My big thing with, with this whole thing, right? Because at the end of the day, he's an owner. I, I, like, do we really give a fuck about Artie Moreno at the end of the day? Nah, we're, we're just going over his, his history right now, whether he should start or not. But, you know, you kind of just have to say, look, is there the, is there the potential that with Artie Moreno, it can get better? I think, it, I think it can, right? Does it? I don't know. Does it? I don't know, right? But we've seen, you know, willingness to suspend is a big thing as an owner. Not for nothing, that's what the Mets have right now. Everyone loves Steve Cohen right now. Oh my God, the love fest that Steve Cohen is getting right now. You would you would think that he's out here birthing babies on the street in the middle of the fucking daylight before Mets games. Like, yo, you're pregnant? Come on, I got you. That's the way Mets fans talk about Steve Cohen. Like Nick mentioned, that's literally the way that people were talking about, uh, what's it called, Artie Moreno. Does it always work out? We don't know, right? We're, we're, we're in year two of Steve Cohen with the Mets. Do they get a title of it? I don't know, right? We don't know. We can look at Steve Cohen very differently 10 years from now, where it's like, oh, he spent all this money on, on Lindor, and he spent all this money on, you know, ABC, and, and, and what do we have to show for it? Now we're con- now we're tied up into these long-ass contracts, and, you know, we have nobody coming. Their, their system sucks, right? Their, their minor league system sucks, so it's not like they're doing it completely great. Um, they're just spending money kind of the way the Angels did, which is a flawed system as we've seen in the past. But, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, I get your point, and, and I agree with your point. Like, he sucks. Yeah, I, it, it's it's like, I think it's similar, but it's also, like, different because the Mets also are – to me, the Mets just have a different build, right? Like, it wasn't like Steve Cohen became the owner of the Mets and then said um, – I'm just, I'm just, I'm not saying that this guy's available. I'm just throwing a name out there, right? Like, it's not like, it's not like Steve Cohen said, "Hey, let me go sign Ronald Acuna Jr. right to add on to Lindor and Pete Alonso and and these guys." He, br- they brought in Max Scherzer to to pair already with with Jacob Degrom. So they went, they 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 took a more, in my opinion, just fuller team approach where they 
The Mets right now, this season, and probably for the next one, at least, you know, for this little time of, of Max Scherzer's contract, they're built to make a title run, right? Or at least they 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 see themselves in that way. They they they've built themselves to make that title run. As of yet, I don't think they've positioned themselves long term. The only long term deal that they have currently, we don't know what their future holds currently, is Lindor. Because we don't know what 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 the Grom's future holds. We don't know what Scherzer Alonzo, I'm sure, will be a, a 10 plus year guy, you know, when they have the opportunity. But I, for for Cohen, it could be a little different because remember what I said. And what Nick said too is important. Artie Moreno won, but he did not win the most important thing, right? If Steve Cohen, if the Mets win a title this season, you can't tell me Steve Cohen's a bad owner. He did what you have to do. He literally won a, a title. That's it. Artie Moreno never won a title in in it's what in what's been almost twenty years of ownership. That's the difference, right? So like, and we've said it before on this podcast a lot of the times. Winning changes everything. Winning. Even though we have logical arguments for guys being terrible, yeah. winning changes the whole perception of that. So with so, the so, Mets, we're gonna have to see. Well, that's the thing. It's, it, we do have to wait to see, right? Because yeah. not for Angels had a lot of seasons where they were favorites to win the World Series. Yeah, and they didn't do it, right? They they did yeah. have those pitching staffs, right? Like you forget about the Dan Harrens and, and the, the Weavers, and, and you know that's even before the C.J. Wilson signings and stuff like Bartolo Colon, right. famous, yeah, Bartolo famous Colon, Angel yeah. ace, right? Like. So, like, you're right. We have to see it come to fruition. I think the only time we've ever really seen it work out, ironically, is with George Steinbrenner, which is why he gets the credit that he gets for, for that time. But you have to remember, George Steinbrenner also had some fucking awful years. Yeah, um, no, for you know, sure. We, we have a fucking love fest with him in New York because of the great stuff he did for us, but he's also... The titles, bro. It's the titles. I'm telling you, the yeah, titles. No, of course. Once you add a titles S... Plural, it, it blinds you to a lot of always, things, bro. Always comes down to it. Let's let's stay in the in, in the NL East, though, right? Because we're talking about it. And specifically, yeah. let's talk about the Mets, Braves, and and, and Philly. So, look, the divisions between the Mets and, and and the Braves. I don't think anyone's gonna argue that. Um. So, look, we'll start off with this. Who do we think ultimately takes the division? Do we think it's gonna be the Mets or the Braves? And then, side piece of that, Phillies are playing really well. Bryce Harper's coming back. Do you think they make the playoffs? Because they're in contention. They're kind of in that in that middle sweet spot there for the wild card. Braves are, I'm going to say Braves are in. Right? I don't care if we have like a whole month left. Braves are in. So Phillies are one of the next last two teams for contention. So uh, Nick, I will start with you. What do you this got? is one of those where I want you to skip me, and then when you come back to me, skip me again. Because this is like when I dig into it, not even just looking at the numbers, but just like what's out there. Like, this feels like the Giants-Dodgers of last year. Like, why we know why the Mets are here, so it's not quite that much. But it's like, can the Mets hold on this whole year? And they keep holding on. So it's kind of like the Giants from last year in the NOS, where they just keep doing just enough to stay ahead of that badass team that's behind them. If I had to put money on it, I would go with the Braves. And the major reason for me is all the people they possibly have coming back. You've got Soropa coming back, who's ace level. You've got Albies coming back, who is an all-star second baseman at minimum. Uh, you've got Ian Anderson, who was a postseason hero a couple years last year, who's down there in the minors, could come up and have a great run. You've got a good reliever in Darren O'Day that could be, that's coming off, and Oscar Noah. The Mets don't have anybody really coming back except for Carlos Carrasco, and that's not a guy you're depending on in the postseason most likely. So the Mets team that we're seeing on the field right now is most likely the Mets team that we're going to be seeing through the rest of the season outside of injuries. And when you have more firepower coming, like Albies and Soroka, in particular, those two names. Those are big names. Those are two players that literally go on to any team. Albies plays second base for 
pretty much any team in Major League Baseball. Whoever your second baseman is, if you have Ozzy Albies coming in, you're probably trying to find a way to move your second baseman somewhere else. Mike Soroka most likely pitches in the top five. Honestly, he's a postseason starter for almost every team except for the Mets. Like the Mets are the one team that he's not a postseason starter when you talk three starters because they got DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett. And that's where I don't want to pick against the Mets is when you have those three starters going in a series, whether it's the series to end the season, go into the postseason or the postseason, it's really hard to pick. I say the Braves win the NL East, but I have a feeling the Mets go farther in the playoffs. So this is going to be a great run, and it's really hard to pick between the two. Rob, what were your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, so I, I think I think when when Nick said it is is on point. I think the Mets and Braves are gonna are gonna go at it until the end of the season. They act, they actually close the season with each other. I think if if I remember looking at the schedule, I think they close the year with a three game series against each other, or or the or right before the end of the season, they have a three game series against each other. So. It'd be crazy if they're like separated by one game, come that three game series, and and that's what ends up deciding it. I think for the Mets, they're probably going to end up holding on. To be honest with you, I, I just think that the, the level of pitching that they're getting from the Grom and Scherzer is what we expect from the Grom and Scherzer, right? The Grom and Scherzer. Every time we have a the Grom and Scherzer debate, the only thing that changes the the Grom and Scherzer conversation is are they going to be healthy? If they're healthy, it's not a question of of what type of numbers you're going to see them put up because it's going to be elite numbers just about every single season. That's what we're seeing again. I think, look, Nick said Nick said that that trio for the Mets, I'll give you the duo, man. Give me the duo. Give me DeGrom and Scherzer because guess what? Give me the dogs, man. If I lose game three, you're going to have to see DeGrom and Scherzer again. You feel me? You're going to see a game four, DeGrom or Scherzer. Pick your poison. No, uh, like realistically, no other team in baseball right now at this moment in time because of health, right? The only other team would probably be the Dodgers, but that we know they're going to be without Walker Bueller until 2024. So the Dodgers are not, are not going to be without a, a, a possible Walker Bueller, you know, Julio Urias level combination. Yes, you still have Kershaw, but we know Kershaw has his health issues. The duo of the Grom and Scherzer is, is undisputed. There is no, there is no other uh, duo out there from a talent level, from a talent perspective, from a statistical perspective that right now has better numbers than them is putting up better putting up better runs in the last four seasons. That's the duo right now. And you're going to have to see them twice. If you want to go far in a series, oh, you want to take this series seven games, good luck because you're going to have to see Scherzer and DeGrom twice. Maybe maybe even a, a situation where game seven, one of them starts and you have the other one out the bullpen. Good luck because that's what you're going to have to face. And I'm, I'm, I'm starting to, to lean towards the Mets to take the division because like Nick said, they just keep holding on. Right now, it's only a three-game lead. Um, I, I think, you know, if they make the playoffs, it, it's a whole different set of rules, right? Like it, we, everybody starts at zero again. So it's a whole new ball game. But for the Braves end of thing, I think, look, the Braves are going to the postseason. It's no question that they're going to the postseason. The Braves are um, the, the Braves are a bully. The Braves are I want to say on here that the Braves are a cheat code. You know, the Braves, the Braves are basically you're out here button mashing with the Braves, right? The, the Braves at this point, I'm going to give you an example. The Braves are at this point when you're about to enter a video game, right? Like you remember Slugfest and you and you had to uh, like button mash to get like the special characters or something. Like sometimes you would get a full lineup of players that was just like a bunch of sub-zeros or like a bunch of scorpions or something, just like overpowered players. That's what the Braves are because you don't know when it's ever going to end. You have, you literally have four, you have four legitimate stars in Okunia Jr., Ozzy Alves, Austin Riley, and Matt Olson. 
right? And just when you think you're done with that, oh, they have a Cy Young candidate in Max Fried. They have one of the best bullpens in baseball. They literally have they literally have um, um, Strider and and Michael Harris teammates competing for Rookie of the Year in the NL right now. It's gonna be one of those two. Spoiler alert: it's gonna be it's gonna be an Atlanta Brave. Pick whichever one. Like, and they just got Vaughn Grissom, who who might drive Dansby Swanson out of out of Atlanta potentially. Like, dude, it's nonstop with ATL. We've said it before; they're one of the best, you know, run franchises up and down in the game, and they just keep on showing it. it it's not me betting against them, right? It's it's a it's a it's if they make the playoffs, I I probably pick Atlanta over New York. I'm just talking about divisional wins. I think I think the Mets are gonna edge them out simply based off how their season is going. But I love I love their dynamic because with Atlanta and New York, it's almost like they, Atlanta picks each other up, right? Like Okuna Jr. is not having that hot of a season. Ozzy Albis has faced injury. Meanwhile, you have Matt Olson giving you as good of a replacement as you would want for Freddie Freeman. Meanwhile, you have Austin Riley putting up an NL MVP caliber season if it wasn't for you know the other number of players that are putting up NL MVP caliber seasons. You're getting what you're getting from from Spencer Strider in the starting rotation. You're getting what you're getting from your bullpen. I mean, they're they're more of that consistent team, but the Mets are just flashy. You feel me? The Mets have like that flashiness of New York. They have your Lindor, Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso might act like might might walk around like he's a humble guy. Pete Alonso got that cockiness to him. You know, Pete Alonso knows that he's one of the top first basemen in the games. So like, and and we don't even have to question the Grom and Scherzer. The Grom and Scherzer, trust me. DeGrom and Scherzer know where their place is in the game of baseball. And right now, the Mets also happen to have the best closer in baseball, which we've seen can flip a lot of playoff games. When you have that guy who is the guy coming out of the bullpen, that guy that you need for two innings out there, that can turn a lot of games. So if you're asking me who's taking the division, I would say the Mets. But if I had to put a bet, if it's Mets, Braves in the playoffs, still from a baseball standpoint, if you had to give me odds, like I would still probably put money on the Braves taking that series, but I do think the Mets have what it takes to edge out and win the division. Yeah, you know, I think I think Mets do it too. I think Mets end up winning the division. However, I have Atlanta in, in a short series. A lot of things can happen, and the, the biggest the biggest area of weakness for the Mets right now is the bridge to that guy you mentioned, Edwin Diaz. Well, guess what? One of the things that the Braves do better than anybody else is have good at-bats. People underestimate how important that is. Being a Yankee fan and having them be trash at-bats day in and day out, I know how important a good a, a lineup that just refuses just to get out, right? Like, the one thing you don't see with the Braves is these lazy pop-ups. These guys are, are fighting until they get a good pitch. You do that enough against a good team, which, by the way, you're going to have to do that against the ground. You're going to have to do that against Scherzer because you're not going to get those fat pitches that he's going to drive over the wall. You get them out of their fifth or sixth inning, you're going to have a three, two, two to three inning roller coaster ride to Edwin Diaz, which that's, that's where I think the Braves win it, right? And I'm not saying that the Braves don't have their own issues. Braves do have their own issues. I don't think that their starting rotations at the caliber of the Mets. You know, obviously, when you have one one pitcher who's the best he's ever played, potentially, um, and one guy who's insane anytime he's out there, that's pretty hard to face. So, you know, I. It's solid I, opposition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so so that's that's my thing with the Braves, and and I'll be honest, I want the Braves to win. So so it's it's, it's one of those things where. where uh, 
There go that Mets hate. There go that Mets hate, man. Oh hell yeah! If I have to, come on, man, we gotta put, we gotta push for a Subway World Series here. What are you doing, man? I I don't believe in the Yankees enough to get there right now. Um, <laughs> oh my God, here we go, man! Not even not, the Yankees. That was, last, that, that was last week's episode. We're not we're not getting into that right now. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, look, I, I think the Braves have a really good team, and it only gets better. For for everyone that they've had up, they have seemingly just as good replacement. Yeah. How do you how do you place Ozzy Albies? Okay, cool. We'll bring up this like prospect shortstop who's just gonna hit over a 900 OPS in his first few weeks at the major leagues. No problem. I think that's good. That'll yeah, do. that's okay. That's okay. By the way, you have like a backup catcher problem. Cool. Let's make him an all star in William Contreras. <laughs> cool. No problem. Like it's yeah. insane. It, it, it's really. Well, Acuna Jr. is on the team the whole year. Just changed his name to Michael Harris the second. Yeah. yeah, like it's nuts. It, oh my god. Do not let Acuna Jr. get his power back, right? Don't let him get to a point where his body feels good enough again when he's driving the ball. Because let's be honest, he's still hitting the ball. He's just not driving the ball like he, like he's used to driving the ball. Let those yeah. power numbers come back up when they matter. It's man, it's hard. I'm I'm not a closet Braves fan, but I really like the Braves. I mean, dude, we saw them. We saw them win a title last year without Acuna Jr. at all. You feel me? Like it's yeah. like they they yeah. showed that they could do it. Like <laughs> this team is better than last year's team too, in my opinion. Yeah, if we're gonna be honest, it hasn't clicked as much as it did last year. But this team, on the field, when you go player by player, I think I think this is a better roster. Let's go. Let, let's talk about one more team in the NL East, and that's the Phillies. Uh, be real quick. I think they're making it. I'm looking at the NL standings right now. Right now, they would be the fifth team, with the Padres being the last team, and the, you know, obviously the Braves being that 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 third team or that that fourth team, I should say. Brewers don't look like they're gonna they're gonna make the playoffs. That's pretty much it <laughs> as yeah. far as competition. If we're gonna be completely honest here, so there's there's in my imagine there's no world where they don't make the playoffs at this point. But how do you see their way going forward? Uh, do let's put it this way: what what chance do you give them of like let's say actually doing anything in the playoffs? I'll start a few rounds. Uh, solid man, solid, and it, it's just it's just by going based off what we've seen this year. If Philly, if Philly makes it, let's let's assume a world where Philly makes it fifth, right? We know we know the Braves are probably going to be the, the fourth. They're going to be the top wild card. So then, so then you have a, a a matchup with Atlanta and Philly. I think looking at their at their ser- their six and six in the season series so far, I think they still have six or seven games um, against each other. So Philly has played Atlanta, you know, pretty well in, in terms of of of. They haven't necessarily gotten beaten down by them this year or anything like that. They got Bryce Harper back. Anytime you get a reigning MVP back, that's always going to do your team well. And, you know, for Philly, I think we have to look back at a bunch of our episodes a while ago when they fired Joe Girardi. That changed their season. That flat out changed their season. They're 50 and 26 since they fired Joe Girardi. They went from the day I looked up the stat this morning, the day that they fired Girardi, they had a 22% chance of making the postseason. Today, they have a 91% chance of making the postseason. It's they fired Joe Girardi and it completely changed their season. And, and for their fans, I know I know they got to be happy about that, right? It, it might not necessarily have worked out with Girardi, but hey, anytime your team can put it, you know, can straighten out, you know, some of their issues. And and let's be real here, the Phillies don't necessarily have an overpowering team like talent-wise, right? Like if you put the names down compared to a Mets or an Atlanta team, the Mets and Atlanta are better. Talent wise, you know, on paper. So, so for Philly, it's more about making it and then seeing, you know, how you can pretty much shake it up in the postseason. Because we all, you just said it. You're, you know, a lot of people 
a lot of people are not going to bet against the defending champ if it ends up being Atlanta Philly in a three game series to open up, you know, the, the, the first round of the playoffs. So for Philly, they're going to, they're going to have to put up a fight because if not, I mean, it's, it's going to be either you take Atlanta or they fall to number six and then, and then possibly have to face a Cardinals team out coming out of the central. So who knows really, but I, I think, I think for them, they have to be at least happy that they can say that they're going to the postseason and they're, they're, yeah, like you said, they're pretty much at a point where they're becoming a guarantee to to be there um, after it looked like they might have another dead season after firing Girardi. It's weird with the Phillies because I have zero confidence in this team. So I, I give them a I give them a two percent chance to really do any damage in the playoffs. Like I I just don't see it with that team. I think they're they're both been suspect. I I hate who they have on the field. Like Bryce Harper coming back actually complicates things for them in my opinion as far as who they have out there. Uh, by the way, Bryce Harper was before he got before he got knocked out with a broken hand or whatever, he was on he was on MVP pace. So definitely excited to see him back yeah. back in the lineup. That's someone that the game needs, who is somehow one of the most underrated players in the MLB right now, which is something I've never thought I'd say about Bryce Harper. But it's I, I know I know that the Joe Girardi thing was huge. And you can tell a noticeable difference in in the results. I also just think it's one of those things where, aside from the Brewers, who Brewers are kind of competitive, every other team in the NL kind of just fell off. The, the, the only teams really competing for those six spots, aside from the ones you mentioned, were the Giants, who at one point we thought were maybe an okay team that you know would, would be competing. And a- after that, like, I don't know. Like, Did we think the Marlins were going to be competitive? Um, did we think that's sad, Cubs- man? Because they might, they might, get, they're probably gonna have the Cy Young out there, and and for them not to, you know, put up a real fight. Yeah, yeah. So you know, the way I, I look at it, it, it's six spots for for eight teams, really, and yeah. they just happen to be better than well, the, the, the Giants just suck, right? So really, it's six spots for seven teams, really depending on what Milwaukee does. It, so they're gonna get there, and, and they deserve the credit, but it's been ugly. Nick, what do you think about the Phillies? Yeah, I mean, you guys said it just right. It's there's six spots for seven teams. Really, there's four. There's four teams in the NL. Like the Phillies don't make a postseason run by any stretch. The the best thing that they have, the the only chance they really have is to line up with either the Braves or the Mets in the first round, and the Braves or the Mets in the second round. And the only reason I say that is you want that comfort with the team you're playing. You played them so much. You I when you play a team so much, everybody loses their edge, but they also all have an edge. It, it's weird when you play a team that often, you know, their team and you, you know, their tendencies and maybe they have a little bit of a less focused day and they slip up a little bit and you know, their tendencies more than any other team. You have that edge, but you also lose all of your edges because they see you so often. They know your weaknesses. They know your strengths. I think the only way that the Phillies have a run in the playoffs is to play both NL East teams because they don't have the type of team that's so good that you can run through another team that's not used to you. The other big thing with the Phillies for me is the Zach Wheeler potential injury is is frightening he's been an ace this year he's been a stud he's been a stud ever since he's been to philadelphia he's a top 15 major league baseball pitcher consistently for the last you know two three years if his forearm tightness is more than what he's because he's saying oh i've had this all year oh i've had this before oh i wanted to pitch i get it i was a pitcher you do you always have tightness you always have a strain you you there's never a single day in your life as a pitcher that you're like oh shit something hurts like it's just what happens. And usually it's in your shoulder or elbow. So he's right. You learn how to do it. You learn how to do it for seven innings in 10 Ks. That's just what you do, especially as a major league pitcher. 
But if it's a little bit more than that to happen at the end of the year, ouch, you don't want to lose one of your aces. And him and Nola, when they're on, they are not DeGrom and Scherzer, but they are a very, very good second option. That might be the second best one-two punch in baseball as a starting two. And when you do it in a short series, that could mean a lot. So to lose half of that is a big deal. And you mentioned their bullpen's a mess. It is. And it got messier by losing Sir Anthony Dominguez, who probably should have been an all-star this year. Like, his numbers are are legit. He is back to closer status, dominating. And Corey Kniebel, while he's been up and down, he has closer experience. And he was doing – he wasn't doing a good job. He wasn't Edwin Diaz, but he wasn't doing a bad job either. When you lose those two arms, which are both above average relievers, that kills when you only have six relievers. I mean, a third of your relieving staff that you're relying on is now gone, along with Zach Wheeler going down. We talked about it with the Angels. They never addressed their pitching. Well, the Phillies address their pitching. When you lose it going into the postseason, it's tough to bet on this team to go very far at all. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Let, let's stick on the, in the East. Let's go to the AL East at this point. And it's really a, a three-team race, right? Y- Yankees need, like, a team plane to go down for them to get out of it. Um, other, other than that, right now, it's the Rays versus the Jays versus the Orioles. Those three teams are really fighting to get in there. Uh, I guess you can say they're really fighting with one of the, like, central teams, if that, for, for, for like, oh, a wild-card spot. I don't know, man. It's ugly. But let, let's, let's stick with the, with the AL East at this point. Of those three teams... Who do you think has the best chance to get in? Um, obviously, it could be two teams because because the playoff format this this year. It could be all three teams if you really think about it. But what do you think is the rest of the season like for those three teams? And we'll, we'll go to you, Rob. Oh man, I think uh, if I had to, if I had to pick one, I I stick with the team that I had winning the East coming into the season. I'd pick the Blue Jays, um, just from a talent perspective. Like they're like if you're putting those three teams together. You're not you're not about to sit in front of me and tell me with a straight face that the Tampa Bay Rays and Baltimore Orioles have a lineup that compares to the Toronto Blue Jays lineup. Like when what like when the lineups are on, again, like the Toronto the Toronto Blue Jays are struggling this season because guys, you know, in their lineup are 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 kind of, you know, having their struggles and things like that, right? You you definitely want Vladdy doing better than I mean, Vladdy still has an 800 something OPS, but you'd probably want him doing even better than than you know, after he just had a, a second place MVP finish, but the Blue Jays have the strongest lineup out of the three teams. I think, I think the thing that a lot of people um, are forgetting is that they also have the strongest duo out of, out of the three teams, right? If it's fine, if, if we have disagreements on, on the pitchers, but in terms of st- statistically this season, Kevin Gaussman and Alec Manoa are two of the best pitchers in the AL. So go, when you're going into the, in the postseason, you know, or a potential postseason run with those two guys, um, I would feel solid about that. I've, I've said on here before, Alec Manoa is a guy who I think is going to be in consistent AL Cy Young talk. He's that level. He's that level of pitcher. He's one of my favorite pitchers in the entire game of baseball. Um, just because he, he's a dog when he's out there, right? Like he has that mentality. He goes out there every every night to give you six or seven and, and he's going to be out there giving you his best. So when you have that kind of guy, it's always good. Unfortunately, if when I say when you have that kind of guy, it's always good. Baltimore and Tampa Bay are both in a situation where they, they're each missing one of those kind of guys, right? Maybe not to the same level, but we've talked about how Baltimore's still missing out on John Means not being in that rotation. Tampa Bay's also missing out on Tyler Glass now, even though he did just extend with them. We don't know if he's for sure going to be back um, this season. I don't, I don't know that he will. I think he'll be back next year or something like that. Tampa Bay has gotten a, a good year 
because they have they've been able to pair that with Shane McClanahan's kind of Cy Young, you know, level season, right? We and we've talked about it Tampa Bay before. They just find a way to take at least one starter and turn him into like a an above an above level all star, right? Like, if, oh, Tyler Glass now went down. Cool, Shane McClanahan, you're up, right? Like, you're next up. Oh, we don't have we don't have Shane Baz. Like, we'll just look for another guy to like put in there. Like, it, it, it's always like that for them. Um, but I think the team you, we've talked we've talked about it before. Baltimore has kind of been bringing its name up into into the conversation. I don't remember exactly what the standings are. I think they're only two games back or one and a half. I'm, I'm not sure of the of of a wild card spot right now. But with Baltimore, you know what the thing is that stands out about Baltimore that a lot of people uh, might not notice is that their bullpen is actually the best bullpen out of the three teams this season. And normally we would expect Tampa Bay, right? I, I don't remember if we had Tampa Bay in our top five bullpens. I, I think we did um, coming into the preseason. Baltimore's bullpen out, has outperformed them this year. And yeah, we can for sure say Tampa Bay has has missed some guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, definitely. But the job that guys like, like Felix Bautista and Dylan Tate have done for Baltimore, the job that Jorge Lopez did before he got traded to Minnesota, right? Like those three guys have, have pretty much run Baltimore's bullpen this season, have put up great numbers for them. And that's what's caused the, the difference in a lot of these games for Baltimore. It's why Baltimore has had one of the best records in baseball since July. It, it, it's it's their bullpen because I'm telling you right now it's not their starting pitching. You if you come once you combine the numbers of the starters and the bullpen for Baltimore, it drops Baltimore drastically. If you combine their numbers, it drops Baltimore probably into the into the bottom third of the league for pitching. When you take out their starters ERA and FIP and WHIP and you focus on those three stats, Baltimore's bullpen pitching is top ten this season. So that's what's creating the difference in a lot of these games for them because it's not it's not an over the it's not an over the top lineup. You know, they they definitely have a future star in Adley Rushman, right? Like, we all agree on that. Like, we said it earlier, Adley Rushman is probably going to be looking at a Julio Rodriguez type of, of contract, at least in terms of money. He's, he's going to be a very well-paid catcher for Baltimore. Um, and, and you know, it even presents an interesting conversation because I'll ask you guys this, right? Tampa Bay at this point in time might be in a situation where they might have the, the weakest superstar out of the three teams. Because if we look at five years from now, do you pick Wander Franco over Adley Rushman or Vladdy Jr.? I don't know that you do. You know, so it, 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 it's it's tough. It's tough because Wander Franco is supposed to be Tampa Bay superstar too, but he's been out this season with injury, right? You don't have you don't have your superstar, and then some of the other guys that that are kind of supposed to put up the stats for you haven't been haven't been doing that. I know that Daniel, you know, Daniel's gonna 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 go on his Tampa Bay. <laughs> Tampa, Tampa Bay hate run because, you know, Tampa Bay's a triple A, maybe even worse, double A team for Daniel. But, you know, like they they, they have their things. I, I think, oh my God, I don't even want to say like for sure, but it's still probably going to be a situation where we get three teams from the AL East going to the postseason. I'd, pro- I'd probably say, I'd probably say the Yankees take the East and then you probably have a situation where three out of, out of Tampa Bay, Toronto and Baltimore, uh, or two out of the three are, are, are going to make the postseason as wild cards. But if I'm gonna make the call right now, I'm gonna say Toronto, and um, oh man, do I pick Tampa Bay or Baltimore? Uh, it's a great yo. Daniel's looking at me like it's a gross choice either way. Uh, but you know what? Just because I, I'm I'm gonna go simply because of this. Look, I think Baltimore is is, is a team that runs is run is in this season doing well, but they're also running on momentum. 
Like that's the reality. Nobody, nobody had like you're, if if anybody, most people had Baltimore finishing fourth in the AL East. Like let's let's be honest, either fourth or fifth. You didn't have them higher than that coming into the preseason. Um, nobody had them fourth. Everybody had them fifth. Let's be real. No, that, that's that's what I, what I meant to say is nobody had them higher than fourth. If you wanted to get crazy, right? Then you said, oh, Baltimore maybe gets fourth. But yeah, no, everyone had them like preseason fifth. So this run that they're on is 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 great. But I think that for that reason is why I lean on Tampa Bay. Because they've been there recently, and also they just keep finding a way to do it. They have they're missing they're missing players. They're mi- like Glass now, Bass, right? Like they're missing Wander Franco. They're mi- they're missing one of the best shortstops in baseball, and they're still right there, pretty much hanging around the second or third best team in the AL East all season in prime position to make an- another postseason appearance. So um, I'd probably say Tampa Bay and Toronto if I had to pick today. They- they're probably the two teams that hold on. This conversation gross. Um- <laughs> So right now, right now, right now as it stands, right? Right now as it stands, Tampa Bay um, is plus half a game in the wild card standings. Right behind them is Toronto and Seattle. And then one and a half games back is Baltimore. For the sake of this conversation, nobody is making the wild card from the AL Central. Just because I can't even Good. make myself push through that. Yeah. Like, we're not going to yeah, no, no. put gymnastics. And I'm keeping Seattle in there, so that's so that's why I'm saying like two out of two out of the three in the East probably make it. Man, look, so so where it stands for me, right? I think Baltimore for me is last year's Seattle team, where very very exciting, right? People were were like, oh, are they gonna get that final spot? Finally, get into the playoffs? You know, look how good and young this team is. They're so exciting, but there's noticeable holes in the team. Like you can you can be excited for a team and also point out that there's weaknesses to that team that aren't going to be addressed just by calling guys up. I love Ashley Rushman. I think the Baltimore Orioles success really goes in hand with when he came up to major league. I think that really helps the pitching staff. I think it makes the offense go um, similar to like when Julio Rodriguez came up this year. I think when 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 who as with Julio being up this year it gave Seattle some extra energy. The games that he hasn't been playing because of the injury or whatever it is, they've looked noticeably different. So I think Adley has that effect on on the Orioles. That being said, I can't sit here and say I realistically think they're a better team than the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are a very awkward team right now where, yeah, you have Manoa and you have Gossman, and yeah, they should absolutely be. 1A and 1B. I don't think you necessarily get that impact when you play them. I think they perform really well, but I in no way think right now they're shut down guys. Mano himself has talked about how he's struggling with command this year. Gossman, as good as he's been, hasn't really replicated what he's done last year. He's been very good. Don't get me wrong. He deserves all the credit. But after those two, who, who do you have? Right? Like, I'm watching a game right now where Ross Stripling is about to get beat the fuck up. Right? Like, I'm watching, you know, it, it's one of those things where I wouldn't even talk about him anymore because he's so bad. Jose Barrios went from guy who people picked to be a Cy Young, which, by the way, I'm one of those people. I, I love Jose Barrios' stuff, to he's a liability. He's a legit liability. No, no bullpen. That bullpen sucks. And then on the offensive side, you have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. being the best offensive player on that team. He is at least two notches below what he was last year in what should have been or could have been an MVP season. 
After that, who are we following up with, man? Look, Tio Hernandez hasn't been the same. Right? Teoscar hasn't been the same ever. He's been good, don't get me wrong, but he's not the same as he was last year. Bo Bichette has been ass. Like, he hasn't even been good. He's just been fucking trash. You need one of your best young players to be one of the best young players if you're going to be good. It has not been that. Does that have something to do with not using the funny ball anymore? I don't know. I think for, for guys like Bo Bichette, yeah. Um, it's just such an awkward team to watch. Look, George Springer was amazing. I feel like he's injured every other game. I don't know when he's in the lineup when he's not in the lineup. So it, it, it troubles me. However, I think they have enough to finish the, 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 the rest of the year and, and get in. And then when it comes to the Rays, man, like I hate talking about the Rays because none of it we makes know, sense. Bro, we know. None of it makes sense. But they find a way to win, which is all that really matters. But if you're telling me aside from Shane McCallaghan going absolute ham every fifth day, I can tell you how these guys win games. I can't. I, I just fucking can't. Right? Like, who, who scores for them? Who scores runs for them? Right? Like, literally well, everybody. They're fans. Everybody. Dude, we're talking about Manuel Margot. Yes, Manuel Margot being one of their key, key offensive pieces. In what fucking world? Right? Like, it is, it is so hard to, to, to just be in that mentality of, of, okay, this team I can put out there confidently. Because I can't. I think there's a reason why the World Series they made happens to be in a season that all the crazy shit happens, right? Like, pandemic 60-game season. It just just makes sense that that's the kind of season that they go as far as they did. But as far as who get, who, who the fuck gets in, I think who the fuck cares. Um, honestly, like, <laughs> no, nah, like, I think Toronto Toronto gets in. With all, all jokes, I think Toronto gets in, and I think they can do some damage once they're in. Um, Tampa Bay probably is gonna get in. We probably don't know how. I see that they play. I see that they play the, the Red Sox later, so that's a win for them. Um, so that that one's a fucking W column. So they'll probably get in. I I still think the Mariners get in. I think they have too much um momentum, especially after this week's news, right? We spent a half an hour talking about it. So I, I think the Orioles are the odd team out, and this should be the odd team out. If you look at it through who they're who's on the roster right now, they don't have one of the better rosters. In the major leagues, right? They have guys that you're excited for, guys that can potentially be really good pieces, uh, role pieces on other teams, right? Uh, but I'm not gonna sit here and say I'm excited about anybody but Adley Rushman on that team. I'd be lying to you, even, even with the pitching, right? Like, like they have guys coming up that I can get excited about. I'm not excited about them right now. Maybe next year we're talking about a Grayson Rodriguez lighting up. It's not this year, and it shouldn't be this year, right? Like you're dumb if you're trying to bring all these guys up right now. It makes, it makes no sense. So, Nick, Nick, I'll kick it over to you, man. What are your thoughts on these three teams in particular? You know I love talking about the Rays, and that's clearly oh my, my choice. Oh, my God. Where's the mic cut? There, there isn't one on this one. You, you got to sit back and listen. You can mute your headphones. No, you can't. You got to listen to this shit. Look, man, the Rays are a great run franchise, and that the best. your quote is perfect. I don't know how they win. Who scores for them? That's the question we've been asked for the last four years, and guess what? They just keep scoring. And they're coming. Last year, they started hot, and they stayed good through the whole year. You can't win 100 games without being good the whole year. They started slow this year and kind of fell out. And guess what? The Rays are just good. And every team has injuries, right? Every single team has injuries. We know this. The Rays have some serious injuries this year. You can hate all you want. But the best center fielder in all of Major League Baseball, which makes every single pitcher that's on the mound better, makes your corner outfielders better because you can go get everything. Kevin Kiermaier, my guy, is out for the season. That hurts a lot. Okay, that does hurt when you're focused on. Not as much as it hurts hearing that statement you made before. <laughs> hey, you ask who's scoring for him, but don't tell me 
there's not a single pitcher in Major League Baseball that wouldn't want to look back there and see Kevin Kiermeyer in center field when they're pitching. Like, probably the top choice for anybody. So, now, take all the jokes aside. Kevin Kiermeyer is a big loss defensively. Not offensively by any stretch of the imagination. He's not the one scoring you runs. He's preventing runs, and he does it a great clip. But when you look at other things like Tyler Glass now, he might be back in the bullpen. That might be their closer, okay? That's a nasty closer. He has such good stuff. All you tell him to do is like, hey, you know, see that thing that's 17 inches wide? Yeah. Don't worry about any of the black. Put it as in dead center of the white as you can and just throw as hard as you can, and they're going to miss it. And they're going to because his talent is that good. And it's a great transition because when he comes back from Tommy John at the end of the year, here, man, go give us an inning. Go dominate for an inning. Give us two or three. That's a great option to add to your bullpen. But you got a lot of other guys coming back. Uh, Nick Anderson should be coming back. Shane Boz should be coming back. Um, Yanni Chirinos, J.P. Fireisen, Josh Fleming. These are all stud-ass relievers. Just those names I named right now are better than probably 30%, probably better than 60% of the bullpens in Major League Baseball. You put those injured list guys onto the Phillies right now, you're talking a different story about the Phillies going into the playoffs. Like, absolutely. And that's just their injured guys. That's not the guys who are doing it for them right now. You also have Wander Franco coming back hopefully by the end of the year. This is a, we've, we overuse this word, but widely regarded generational talent, right? Number one prospect in baseball for you know the last couple of years comes up, starts banging right away. If he comes back healthy and does what he did last year in the beginning of this year, that's a game changer, and that's what they're getting back. Other than that, I mean, you don't have too much offense, but you still got to get like Ryan Yarbrough, Luis Patino. The pitching is insane that they just don't have right now, and their pitching is already insane, and they're getting hot at the right time. I, I mean, I'm picking the Rays. I pick them to win the division. You know, with as bad as the Yankees are doing, it would not surprise me if the if the Rays win the division this year. I'm not saying they're going to, and I wouldn't bet on it, but it's not going to yeah. surprise me if it happens. I was just about to say you ain't putting money on that. No, I'm not putting money. I know I'm not <laughs> at, stupid. At this point, if, if this was if this was um, July, maybe. But I think it's too late with with the with the mile games left. But I, no, I, don't, I, don't, I get you wrong. Don't don't get me wrong, but. If, if I fell asleep right now and hibernated until the last day of the season, you told me the Rays ended up winning the AL East, it would not shock me. I wouldn't, I would be like, okay, well, how the hell did that happen? Did they just win 50 in a row? Did the Yankees, like, I would wonder how it happened, but it wouldn't shock me. As far as the Jays, you're right. They're confusing as hell. Because when you look at them on paper, you're like, okay, how are they not already at 100 wins? Like, that's, that's just where they should be. And the thing with, with them is Kevin Gaussman is ace-level stuff. He's thrown 765 splitters this year. That's a lot of pitches. He's had one barrel off of that. 44% of the time when a hitter swings at his splitter at 760 times this year, 44% of the time they miss it altogether. Kevin Gaussman is doing very well, and he deserves some props because even on this podcast, we shit on him. Like, let's see what AL East Kevin Gaussman is. Let's see what not NL West Kevin Gaussman is, right? Like, we were really challenging going this year, and he's stepped up, and he's become an ace for that staff. And then Rob's guy, Manoa, like, you know, he's just out there like, hey, I've got the biggest balls in the entire planet. And I'm trying to be Max Scherzer, you know, right along with Max Scherzer and just try to dominate with the mental game. I, the the Jays, I think, have the best potential to go very far because the top end talent, as I've said before, the number of guys that could carry this team through a series is more. They have more of those types of guys. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can carry the team. Bo Bichette, as shitty as he's been, can carry the team. George Springer can carry the team. Fuck, they've got two catchers right now that seem to be able to carry the team. Like, they have an abundance of major league level catchers. These aren't even prospect level catchers. So you've got guys. Matt Chapman can carry a team. Like he hasn't this year and he probably won't, but he has that type of bat at times. But the glove as well. 
So the Jays are a team that can go either way. As far as the Orioles, man, we are watching the movie happen if they make a postseason run. Like, just it's writing the script right now. And I've already got the top three characters. You got Wesley Snipes coming back to play center field in a major league baseball movie for Cedric Mullins. That's who he's playing. You got Kevin Costner coming to play Adley Rushman. I don't know what kind of CGI they got to do on his face, but you got Kevin Costner coming in. They want to have the rest of Bautista play the closer, Felix Bautista. Same size, you know, just make it happen. But the Orioles are a great story. The really, I don't see the Orioles making it in because, to your point, Daniel, they just don't have the talent. Like, this is a great story, and it's all fumes. It's all momentum. You know, they're, they're jacked up on Red Bulls, you know, through this entire baseball season, basically. And I love it. I'm here for it. I'm ready to watch it. I don't want the Orioles to make it because I want the Mariners to make it. By signing Julio Rodriguez shows me that everybody in Seattle, from the ownership to the front office to the team, everybody wants to stake their claim to being a good team and to having this franchise guy. And they're Seattle's doing all the right moves, it seems like, every year. And I really want to see them in the playoffs with going there last year, seeing the energy last year in September. You know, even on when even they were out of town, which was when I was in Seattle, you could still hear everybody talking about the Mariners. You could feel the excitement. You could see at the stadium, you know, just the hubbub around it. So I want to see the Mariners make it in this year, but I would not be upset if the Orioles make it. In the AL, this is in the NL, I only want four teams to go. I wish we could transfer a couple teams from the AL over to the NL so we could see them in the postseason. Um, and I'm just glad the AL Central has nobody even competing for that other wild card. Like, just get one team in and just leave it alone. Hopefully, we can find a way to re-rank at the end of the year. It's going to be an exciting race. I There's a great storyline for all three teams. So no matter who makes it in, I'm good with. The Rays are my lock to make it in. Uh, the Jays, I wouldn't, I'm not going to say are a lock because of just how inconsistent they've been. But they would be my second choice and the O's from there. I would love to see them make it in, but not at the cost of the Mariners. Man, you know, so I'm, I'm gonna say one thing, and it's gonna, and, and I hope it sticks with everybody. And, and it's gonna be a, I'm gonna say it's a hot take, but I think it's something that we haven't talked as a fan base about because he's been injured. But you mentioned Tyler Glasnow before going to the Rays. The one thing Tyler Glasnow struggled with was command. He always had the talent, right? Pitcher of the year multiple times in the minor leagues. Always had, you know, threw the shit out of the ball. Command is always his issue. During the spider attack days, right, which everyone made Garrett Cole the spider attack guy, but the guy who outwardly expressed his disdain towards spider attack no longer being allowed was Tyler Glasnow. The guy who, once he went to a raise, they figured some things out, got a little tacky with it, maybe. Um, his career really changed. Spider tack goes away, literally next game blows out his elbow. Now, when he comes back, whenever he comes back, he won't have the spider tack when he's pitching. Now, whether he uses fucking something else, like ball sweat or whatever, I don't know. Right? Whatever whatever he uses to, to get a better, better grip of the ball, I don't know. If I were to make a hypothesis, this is my hypothesis, I don't think he's going to be as dominant as he was pre-injury. I don't think the command's gonna be there. If there's one if there's one thing that's really interesting about Tyler Glassnow and he's talked about it is his wrist, something happened when he was really young, and his wrist is like surgically um, like off base. So every ball that he throws comes off like a little bit almost like a cutter. Almost like a cutter, but that's just because that's the way his wrist is stuck. Yeah, he, right? can't, he can't get behind the baseball. He has he's always on the side of so you gotta learn to deal with that. Yeah, so now we're gonna have to face that without spider attack, without a year of honing your command. He's still going to throw a billion, right? He's still going to throw a billion miles per hour. I don't, I don't doubt that. He's still going to have a stupid-ass-looking curveball that's going to make it look silly. But how often that happens might be less. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. And you, you have to look at the contract that Tampa Bay gave him the extension because it's, it's like Nick mentioned, right? Nick may mention of, Oh, Tyler glass might come back and he might be in your bullpen, right? He might be your closer or something like that. Even though I don't necessarily think that he's going to be the closer for, for Tampa Bay because they did give him a one year, I think it was $25 million extension. Yep. So they're paying him $25 million, you know, with the intention of him coming back as a starter. But to your point, even Tampa Bay is like, it's a one year extension. We're going to see how you come back. And then we're, we could also see what role you come back in, right? Because he's getting paid to be a starter. But if he comes back and he's, he, you know, he starts eight, nine games and is getting blown up out there and they're like, hey, let's try him out in the bullpen, right? Then you kind of have that wiggle room because you're also not going to be giving a bullpen guy $25 million a season. No, what I mean, bullpen is just this year in the playoffs. He's going to be right in line to come back and start no, no, throwing shorter right. sessions. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I know what you meant. I'm, I'm saying for the future. I'm saying when he comes back to Tampa Bay, a long-term closer role might be something that could be in his future, depending on how he comes back from injury. Because we don't know. Like it could be that Tampa Bay looks at him and is like, "Hey, you're going to be a one or two inning guy from here on out for us, but we're going to use you." Because again, one one year gives them a little bit of leverage to then be able to offer him a new contract if if it is going to be a new role that he comes in. But as of now, they still view him as a they I, I have to imagine they still view him as a one A, one B, him and McClanahan going into next season. We'll we'll definitely see when he gets back, right? And then one thing one thing in Gossman too is if we look at his stats, we're we're both right and we're both wrong. He is a little bit worse this year than he was last year. However, you probably can attribute that to playing in the AL East with, with the numbers he's putting up. Right? So, you know, did he backtrack? All his numbers show that he's regressing back to his career mean is, which is a little bit worse than what he is today. Uh, but at the same time, it wasn't like he fell apart. I think a lot of us predicted him to fall apart. And instead of a 3-1-5 ERA, has something like a 4 ERA. Um, but he, he's kind of right in line. Right, His whip is up from last year. Um, however, he still leads the, the league in, in, in fielding independent pitching with a big stat. So... He got a little bit worse, but he went to a division that had actual offense aside from the Dodgers, obviously. Like, so, you know, it kind of falls in line there. All right, man, we're about to get out of here. You guys have anything else you want to end on? Rob, I'll start with you. Uh, nah, man, we, we have about a month left. Just paying attention to how these races finish up. It, it, and some of the future episodes that we have coming up, instead of, of divisions, we're going to be definitely talking awards because I, I was I – was, Tempted to throw in some Sandy talk in this episode, but I'm like, you know what? We'll hold that off because Sandy deserves, you know, a, lo a lot more time than, than we'll probably give him because some of these races are 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 definitely getting good. But we're, we we have a lot more interesting stuff to dive into. Yo, we've talked about Goldschmidt a couple times on the MVP tour. He's on a triple crown pace. I believe he's one in average, one in RBIs, and two in home runs, and he's catchable in the home runs. Keep an eye for Goldschmidt. Maybe the quietest great player we've seen in a long time. Yeah, you know, I think the biggest winners of this year so far have been players who went into free agency. If we look at the NL and the top five potential vote-getters, um, Paul Goldschmidt, which you just mentioned, guess what? He was a free agent from uh, Arizona. Behind that is his teammate Nolan Arenado, who's been absolutely insane. Um, free agent, or not free agent, he was traded over, but then he got re-signed free agency, so he moved to Behind that, you would have a guy like Mookie Betts, traded from another team, big contract guy. Um, behind that, you have Freddie Freeman, most likely, which is another uh, free agent acquisition, signed for big years in the offseason. And last but not least, you got Trey Turner, who we all know that story. 
traded and is going to be a, a, a big free agent story this offseason. So it kind of shows that you can still acquire your team from the outside and those guys are going to make a big impact. Um, definitely, definitely an interesting, interesting way of seeing it. So uh, that, that's what I want to finish on. But other than that, man, yo, we'll see you guys next week. Get out of here.